It's all very well starting a talk on worry when <laughs> up there it says worry, but the iPad says housekeeping notes. Um, help, what's happening here? Um, therefore, by definition, it's quite difficult to actually then say, look at what's up there. It's really funny, because when I was given this task to actually do the talk on worry, you then think about, okay, on the agenda today, you've got Rob and Will. They have co-written a book on worry. And then they give me the task of talking about worry. And you start thinking, this is slightly strange, particularly for someone who, until I started looking into this, I then had this question of, do I worry, don't I worry? And then I thought to myself, yes, I do worry, and I'm a real worrier. And in fact, it's been really good for me doing this talk in the preparation of it, because for all practical purposes, it's actually had to make me look at myself and think about how do I deal with life? How do I deal with situations where, basically, I'm faced with things and I actually have natural response? And I'm sure it's a natural response that lots of the people here actually have. Something happens, and what do you do? You start thinking about it. And you think about it. And you think about all the different options and all the different things that may or may not be happening and all the consequences, and what if, and what, and what does that mean? I'm worrying, doesn't it? Now, up there, it's, um, you, you really won't see this very well, because I've just been, you know, we're right here today, I was told, you don't worry, everything is going to be replaced in this building within the next few weeks. So after today, there won't be many more conferences in this building before you'll have a massive screen behind me, and TV screens along there, so everyone will see all the PowerPoint slides. Slight problem, it's not here yet. <laughs> so, what that screen basically says, what are your images of worry? What is it that makes you think about when we talk about worry? I actually put a few together, and I was thinking, okay, what do I think about? Do this person, or at a computer laptop screen, particularly when it's not doing what you expect it to do, or how about that, what if? And you're pulling your hair out and, but actually what are your images of worry? Are you the sort of person who actually begins to allow it to take a hold within you? And maybe like me, it's, sort of, it's almost as if your stomach, stomach starts to ruminate and it starts churning and you actually you get all those physical feelings. I actually know of a person who um, had this school trip that she was really looking forward to doing but actually got so worried and churned up about it that actually she became physically ill and had the most severest sort of diarrhea and all that stuff and actually couldn't go on the trip because she got so worried about the trip that her body had become so ill that she couldn't go on the trip. Worry is actually quite a challenge because it really is something which we are all prone to do. What if? And we think about it. Worry is a universal problem. And it's a problem for all humankind. And we are all prone to it. This is why Jesus specifically talks about it. He teaches on the subject. And the only reason he teaches about the subject is because he knew 
that it was a problem which would, everyone would relate to. And I guarantee people are sitting here thinking, yeah, that's me. I worry about this and that. So what are the origins of worry? Well, thinking about it, when God created Adam and Eve, and you actually had that first experience of human beings, there was no worry. Why? Because they were safe, secure, they knew who they were, they knew their relationship with God, and in Eden there was no such thing as worry. But by them rebelling against God, by eating the fruit, they disobeyed God, they rejected God's direction of their lives, and they showed a lack of trust in God. And it's lack of trust in the fact that they didn't believe that God knew what was best for them. Eve believed a lie. Did God really say, will this really happen? And in a sense, it's saying, do you really believe that God wants the best for you? And I've been a Christian for decades. I grew up in a Christian home. I've had all the Christian teaching. And I've been a Christian 40-odd years. And yet, I'm still prone to worry. In my head, I know that God is good. In my head, I know that God wants the best for me. But actually, in my heart, there is this thing about, do I really trust the goodness of God? There is still that doubt, that question within me. That separation between God and Adam and Eve left them feeling alone and isolated. They felt responsible for their own future. They felt the need to take control of their lives and be responsible for their own destiny. But the thing about human beings is that we do not actually have total control of our own destiny, of our circumstances, but we want to take that control. This leaves them and us predisposed to worry because we have this sin that entered into the world, this separation between our ability to trust God wholly with everything and that need within us of almost having to seek our own control over our destiny. And the problem is, that we actually realize then we can't do it. We try, but we can't do it. So what are the things we worry about? Well, the statistics are the ones which I found, and this is what it is. 30% of what we worry about are things in the past. The only problem with the things in the past, actually, is that they're in the past and we actually no longer can do anything about them because you can't change what has happened. Like me driving through a, a speed camera thinking, was I doing 31 miles an hour? And did that camera register me, etc.? And you start mulling it over. And I don't know about you, but seriously, my thought processes are such that I will think the next 10 minutes about certain things. And it's, that's the worry type but the fact is, whatever has happened, has happened. You can't change it. And I know that's a silly example, but lots of us do this, but lots of things. 
40% of things are things which will never happen. You know, we think about a whole range of different possibilities. And let's be realistic. Half the time we are seriously thinking about stuff which just will not happen. And I'm very much a thinker about stuff. And I will process every possibility of all the issues that might happen. And probably for me, 40% is really an underestimate of my worrying. <laughs> um, an example actually comes from yesterday. Yesterday I had an email which arrived, was sent at six something in the morning saying, uh, please move your car, it is parked, in fact, illegally, because it's in a space which has been booked by someone else. That's fine, apart from I had actually booked a space. At which point my brain starts mulling over, mulling over, mulling over, and thinking, what do I do? And all of those things. And I go through every possible option. I don't know about you, but for me, I go through every possible option. And, but then you have the question of, so what am I doing all these options for? And I'll come back to that example later. 12% of things relate to um, people's opinion about us. I was actually quite surprised at how low that is, because I know some people where actually they're considering about the opinions of others. You know, what, does, what do they think about me? What do they think about my appearance? What do they think about what I've said? What, and all of those things. 10% of things relate to health issues, which worry often makes worse. People worry about health, but the fact is that actually worry of itself affects our health. 8% of things which need us to take some action. So why is it that we worry? Why is it that we worry? Well, we believe that worry has power and a purpose. Actually, if we didn't believe that, we wouldn't do it, would we? Basically, we believe it has power and a purpose. But the thing is this, the only power worry has is what we give to it. It really has no real power of its own. And its only purpose is to deny us our peace. Because when we spend our lives worrying, actually we do not do anything constructive. And certainly when I spend my time worrying, my brain just thinks and thinks. And it's really not actually coming up with any useful conclusion. Worrying won't stop the bad stuff from happening. It just stops you from enjoying the good. Now, when I was looking on the internet, I found, a few, I found this next example. And I've, tit I've titled this bit, Some of us spend our lives worrying about the most detailed things. And I had to smile when I saw this picture. Um, basically, it's a man lying in bed saying, Dear God, let that paper clip be strong enough. Now, actually, I can think of lots of times when I've been worrying about very specific things, the minute details of life. But other people will be very focused on the big picture, focused on worrying about every aspect, about everything in the world, when actually they're taking on the burdens of the world onto them. Worry is like a rocking chair. It gives you something to do, 
but gets you nowhere. <laughs> Worry is like a rocking chair, gives you something to do, but gets you absolutely nowhere. It takes a lot of work. Now, some of us worry about what we've done. And I know sometimes, let's be realistic, we have done things which are pretty sort of, um, well, yeah, they are things which are wrong. And actually, at times, we regret them, or we feel guilty about them, and we recognize that they're wrong. But the fact is that in the end, you can't spend the rest of your life worrying about what's happened in the past. When we worry about the past, it traps us in the past. And if we are looking backwards, we cannot enjoy the now, and we cannot look forward to the future. If you spend all your life looking back, you're not being able to focus on the here and now. And certainly you can't look forward to what might be in the future. And that's a challenge. Am I actually willing to leave my past in God's hands? If I confess my sin, am I willing to believe that God is going to forgive my sin and cleanse me? And yes, there may be things which may need to be dealt with as a consequence of that sin, but am I actually willing to trust God with my past? Worry is a total waste of time. It doesn't change anything. All it does is steal your joy and keep you busy doing nothing. Certainly when I'm worrying, I know that my joy just disappears. I cannot feel joyful and peaceful when my life is focused on worrying. Worrying can change nothing because what's happening is you're focusing on something which doesn't bring about change what it does do is it drain you it drains you in the here and now it takes up your attention it's absorbing it takes all your focus when you try to have communication conversations with people if you're worrying about something else, your focus isn't on the person. It's focusing on what you're worrying about. And worry can leave you completely tired and drained. Sometimes people talk about always feeling tired, lacking energy. And sometimes that's because we're so preoccupied with the anxiety and worries of life. It's actually taking away all the energy of life today. Worry can be physically and emotionally exhausting. It can leave you fatigued. It puts a strain on your body and its functions. I've already talked about the issues about the effects on your stomach, but it has a whole range of different effects. And I made the comment earlier that often we can be worried about health issues. But by the very nature of worry and the way it keeps your body alert and responsive in the anxiety levels, it of itself can bring about its own health issues. It feeds stress and anxiety and can contribute to de depression. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. 
a quote from Corrie ten Boom. Worry does not empty tomorrow of its sorrow. It empties today of its strength. It drains you emotionally and physically. So why is it we worry? But sometimes we don't worry about the past or today. We worry about tomorrow. And actually thinking about it, worrying about tomorrow, what does that do? If you spend your time worrying about the future, you miss all the opportunities that arise today. If I'm always thinking about what about tomorrow, where am I going to be, the next thing I'm going to be doing, how am I going to get there, what are people going to say, I'm actually always going to be looking to something that's yet to be and not focusing on what's here. And what God wants is for each of us, you and me, to actually find his peace and joy in the now. And if we're always looking at tomorrow and missing today, we are creating past regrets for the future. If you're so distracted by what will be or what might be, you're missing what you can do now, and then you'll be looking back on today, wishing you'd done what you could have done today, and then you'll be worrying about why you didn't do it. It truly is a trap. Mark Twain says, I have spent most of my time worrying about things that have never happened. Worry is a habit and it imprisons you. It's a habit which many of us, if not all of us, in some way have. Some of us more than others. Worry is trying to control our own lives. It's where you and me try our utmost to take full control of who we are and what we do. It's based on a false belief that by worrying, we can make a difference. And at times, we truly believe that. We have learned how to worry. Who taught us how to worry? Hmm, good question. Don't want to associate any blame to that. But sometimes it's family, sometimes it's all sorts of things. But actually, generally speaking, in many ways, it's something that's quite innate within us. We've learned how to worry, and it has become part of our lives. Like other habits, we start off feeling in control, but then the habit controls us. Look at worry as a habit. Something which starts off, it appears to have a purpose, but it then controls us. And we need to recognize it as that habit. We also need to recognize that it has control over us. And we actually need to recognize that we need to seize back control over it. We need to relearn our response to worry when it starts. I actually have started to begin, and this has been a challenge for me, to recognize worry when it starts. Not when I spent the whole of an afternoon worrying about something, but to notice that symptom where something triggers that worry. Because when we start recognizing it, we can then begin to challenge it. We can begin to say no and tell it to stop. 
Because basically what happens is that worry is a response to life circumstances. Something is going to trigger it. There is going to be a trigger which triggers worry in you and me. The trigger may be very different between us. And it can be anything. A thought. Something someone says. Something we've done. Something what other people's, other people's do. But it varies. But something triggers the worry. The thought process. And we entertain it. But how we entertain it is all based on how we perceive situations in life. Because through our experiences of life, we filter things. And it's amazing how we filter what happens around us. And in, we interpret it. And these filters are filters which we've learned through childhood, through experiences, through hurt, through pain, through what people have taught us, through lies we've be believed. It's a whole host of things which cause us to filter our experiences of life. But actually, far too often we're not aware of our interpretation of what's around us through these filters. But once we've actually had that thing triggered and we've filtered it and received it, then we have a response within us. And that unease that is responding is the bit which develops into the worry. And it's based on our interpretation of what's around. But the one thing you and I must always remember is that we do have a choice. A choice not to worry. A choice to respond in a different way. When I actually prepared these notes, one of the things I did put up there is the next chart, which actually you'll just see as being almost lines. Um, and it's basically a flow chart, which talks about trigger, filter, worry, choice. It actually then says, can I take any action about this? Because realistically, if we're worrying about something, we've actually got the question, is it something I can change or not change? If it's something I can't change, what's the point of worrying about it? If it's something I can change, what is it should I be doing about it? The next slide is, if a problem can be solved, no need to worry about it. If a problem cannot be solved, what's the use of worrying? Um, actually, there's a lot of truth in that. And realistically, if I, you know, just think about it. If I can't do something about it, and worrying isn't going to make any difference to me, and to my life, and to the problem, what is the purpose of the worry apart from it being a habit, and it gives me something to do, which makes me feel that I can do something, but it actually is like the rocking chair which goes nowhere. If it's something I can do something about, I need to think, what can I do about it? Can I do something about it now? And if I can, I need to do something. And if it's something I can't do, it, do it now, but I can do it in the future, I need to recognize that I can't do it now. I need to accept that and look at a time when I can deal with it in the future. But worry takes control at times. So what are the key actions that I can do to deal with worry? I need to learn the things that 
trigger worry in me? Are there things which specifically make you worried? Searching for me there are. We also need to get to know the filters that we have within us which actually interpret the world around us and which make us alert to the triggers. We need to learn the early signs of worry so that we actually recognize when it's starting. We need to put in place the strategies to intervene and to avoid worry. Can we put in place strategies? Yes, we can. Certainly when I had that thing that happened yesterday about the car parking space, I was thinking, okay, it's early in the morning, what could I do about this? I actually couldn't do anything about the car at the time because I wasn't in the right place and the person who wanted the car moved couldn't actually move the car for two hours or three hours. So normally what I would do is spend the next three hours worrying and I'd be thinking about it and processing it. But then I was thinking, what do I do? Can I do anything about this now? Well, the one thing I could do was send an email back to the person explaining what my understanding of the situation was and saying that we would follow it up at a point of time, which was the time when it could be dealt with. So I did what I could do and then dealt with it. And then I said to myself, actually, I have done everything I can do. There is no more I can do until the time is appropriate to do something about it, which is a way of saying to myself, stop worrying. Challenge. Do I listen to myself or do I ignore that? And I kept having to say, stop worrying. It's done. What I then did was actually arrange for the next step to happen at a certain point in the day and then take action. Now, for me, that actually was a challenge. And I know for some of the people here, if you're anything like me, it will be the same for you as it is for me that you have to start to begin to take control, to break habits of their lifetime, and to actually begin to deal with these strategies. So it's about learning what triggers, learning what the filters are, learning the early signs, putting in place strategies, and not being afraid to tell worry to get lost. Because actually at times, it is a real distraction to life. Sometimes it's important to talk to someone. You know, the whole concept of a problem shared is problem halved. Now, is there someone you can talk to? Because sometimes what worry does is it isolates us. It traps us. And often we keep it to ourselves. I don't know about you, but often I mull over it and I don't talk to anyone else about it. Partly because I actually don't want to hear what they want to say back because they'll probably say to me, stop worrying, it's nothing to worry about, or words to that effect. But sometimes it really is important to break away from that isolation and to share with someone, family, friends, lifeline, Premier Lifeline, confidential helpline is there for people to talk. Someone to talk to, someone to listen to you, to be there. And something like this is exactly what they're there for. If it can be changed, then it's important for us to make a decision to change it. You know, if there's an action to take, take the action. I don't know how many of us around here are the sort of people who might delay taking the action because we're afraid of what's 
the action is going to result in. But actually, if an action needs to be taken, the sooner we take the action, the better, because it gets the thing out of the way. However afraid we might be of what the consequences are, if it can be changed, we need to deal with it. Because mulling over it does not deal with it. If it can't be changed, we need to recognize that and actually recognize that the worrying is a pretty pointless exercise. For some of us, at times, there's a need to seek professional help. Whether that's through counseling or medics, or whether that's through legal things. You know, I've known people ask me, what do I do about this or that matter? And sometimes it's because there is something quite significant in their lives. But actually, seek the help you need to get the help about, so you know the right steps forward for your lives. Alternatively, you could do something called a worry box, which I'll come on to in just a moment. But remember that worry is a habit which took a long time to establish, and at times, it takes a long time to change that habit and create new habits. And it's like anything else where it becomes part of our lives. To challenge it, to replace it, it can take time. Now, the worry box is a concept which I'm not sure how many of you have ever tried. And this thing has suddenly stopped working. I'm not sure why. Sorry? You want to? Yeah, okay. Um, a worry box. How many of you have ever used a worry box? Does anyone here know what a worry box is? Certainly, I wasn't really aware of this, but certainly, well, um, there is a story that someone called Arthur Rank, who sort of got linked with the Rank organization and all that. <laughs> Ignore what's behind me. Um, so basically decided that he would do all his worrying on one day of each week. Okay? Have you ever thought of this? Allocate one day in any week to be the day that you'll do the worrying. And then decide that's the day when you will do your worrying. So, he decided that he would choose Wednesday to be the day that he would worry. And that he would have a box where he would write down all his worries and put them into the box. And so, for a week, you have this build-up of his worries... But when he put them in the box, he wouldn't worry about them. He just says, I'll worry about that on my worry day, which is the Wednesday. Now, by the Wednesday, the box had quite a lot of worries in it. However, when he opened the box and read through the different worries, he was somewhat surprised that most of them no longer were worries because none of them had either come true or things had changed, circumstances had moved on. And so most of the things that had disturbed him enough to be thinking about worrying about had actually disappeared between putting them in the box and the opening of the box. So from his point of view, it would have been useless to have worried about them because by the time the week came later to open the box... Um, it had changed. 
I found this on the internet, which is a worry box done by a mother for a child. And it's a worry box where he, she was saying to her child, who was a real worrier, think about all your worries and put them in this box and leave them there. And we'll come back to them and look at them once a week. But she'd actually written on the box a number of different verses. And I was, I you can only see one of them here, but the first on the top says, The Lord your God is with you. He is mighty to save. He will take great delight in you. He will, he will quiet you with his love. He will rejoice over you with singing. Zephaniah 3.17. And in fact, on each side of the box, you've got other verses. And she was trying to encourage her child to put their worries in the box and to give them over to God. And earlier on, when I actually showed you a diagram which you couldn't read, I created a separate diagram, which again you can't read. Um, nothing's perfect, is it, as you learned from Will earlier. But the fact is, with this one, rather than it just being this sort of standard psychological gobbledygook that you might sometimes hear, this one actually I inserted issues around prayer. Because as Christians, the one thing we can do is at different stages bring in the question of what does God want us to do in this? And do we take it to God in prayer? So when something is triggered and the filter triggers the worry, what can we do? We can pray and ask God what action does he want us to do? And then we take an action, we take the action in prayer and deal with things. And if we have to, have to delay taking that action, we again can hand over the interim to God. And when we've taken the action, we hand it over to God. But if there's no action we can take, actually as a Christian there is an action. We can give it to God. And one of the biggest problems I actually find about Christians, including me, and as I said, I've been a Christian an awful long time, and I really should know better, is the question of how big is the God in whom we believe? Is God capable of dealing with the stuff which I want to take responsibility for? Because actually, a lot of the time I spend my life worrying about the things which are, in one sense, pretty insignificant compared to the big stuff about sin and salvation and all the bits about my eternal future. I'm actually fussing about the daily bits of life and relationships and all sorts of stuff. But actually, I'm trying to take control of that. When God says, do you trust me with this? Do you believe that I have your best interests at heart? Do you truly believe that I'm a good God and I want good things for you, my son or daughter? How do I really perceive God and his love for me? And actually, that's a real challenge. Do I truly believe God is good enough and loving enough and caring enough for me to trust him with my life, my day-to-day -day activity of life. And actually, I've always found that a struggle. So I've always been tempted to take control, to take responsibility. And I know where that's come from. It's come from bits of my childhood. 
and it's a problem. Because if I feel responsible, I feel that I need to worry because I need to feel in control. But actually at times, God says, I want you to give me that stuff because I, God, am more than capable of dealing with it, controlling it. And I'm big enough for you to dump on me anything that's worrying you. I'm big enough to dump it on me. Are we willing to dump on God this stuff? Often in the Bible, people quote all sorts of passages about worry. But when I was looking at this talk, I realized something I'd never noticed before. And I should have noticed it, but I hadn't. In the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus does some teaching. And he teaches us how to pray, as in the Lord's Prayer, which I'm sure all of you know. But actually, that's in the passage just before the bit about worry. And I hadn't noticed that. I should have done. I've been a minister and all that stuff over the years. Jesus teaches us how to pray. Your Father knows what you need before you ask. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. If we believe God is a good God, who has our best interest at heart, his will being done on earth includes his will for us. Give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus says, this is how you should approach your Father in heaven. And in the context of that, that is when Jesus says, don't worry. Therefore, I tell you, stop being perpetually uneasy, anxious and worried about your life, what you shall eat or what you shall drink, or about your body, what you shall put on. Look at the birds of the air, they neither sow nor reap, nor gather into barns, and yet your heavenly Father keeps feeding them. Are you not worth much more than they? That statement by Jesus is in context of us being told to take to our heavenly Father in prayer all the needs of our lives. Instead of worrying, Jesus calls us to seek God first, and he will provide. But seek, aim at, and strive after, first of all, his kingdom and his righteousness, his way of doing and being right. And then all these things taken together will be given you besides. So do not worry or be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will have worries and anxieties of its own, sufficient for each day is its own trouble. And these verses are from the Amplified Version. So Jesus says, pray, bring your stuff before God, and then do not worry. Seek God with all your heart, with all your life, and put his kingdom first. And by doing so, with God at the center, 
that gives you the ability not to worry. Paul writes, Do not fret or have any anxiety about anything, but in every circumstance and in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, continue to make your wants known to God. God actually wants to hear from us. I don't know about you, but for me, I actually often don't believe that's true. I actually am reticent to tell God all that I'm feeling. But he truly wants to hear from us. He wants us to bring to him everything that is upon us. Casting the whole of your care, all your anxieties, all your worries, all your concerns, once and for all, upon him. For he cares for you affectionately and cares about you watchfully. That's from 1 Peter 5, verse 7. Therefore, it says on that last slide, do not worry about tomorrow. For me, I'd say to you, yes, worry is something which can imprison us. But we need to learn to take control of it, to learn what's causing it, what triggers it. But we also need to recognize that no amount of worrying makes a difference in our lives. And we need to actually tell it to be in the place where it belongs. Thank you. Fantastic. Well, if you want to find out more about worry, there is a huge amount on our website. We'd love you to, to look at the internet and explore. And uh, there's, there's also um, a book associated, and there is also... There is now an opportunity to ask a few questions. Thank you, Rob. I wonder what he was doing there for a minute. Telling me to get off. Yes, hello. Uh, we're in the middle here. We've got a microphone. This is definitely an area of struggle, friends, as well. It's also um, the after-lunch session. So if you're struggling at this stage of the day, then don't worry. You're in good hands. And whilst that's being passed across, I don't have any books to sell here today. Um, I actually have someone who's been desperately trying to get me to write the books, but I've never actually got around to doing the copy for them yet, um, which is always uh, something I get being told off about. However, if you go to the Association of Christian Counselors stand, they actually do have some magazines which have articles about suicide and also self-harm in different editions, and they're free of charge. So uh, if you're interested in any of those copies, Great. do go for those. Thank you, Jonathan. A question, yes? Yes, hello. I just wanted to... Um clarify or maybe even challenge the negativity that often surrounds the word worry because I wonder whether sometimes, I mean I believe we don't always choose to worry, it isn't always a choice, or whether sometimes worry is even a necessary step actually to, sure. um, to, to take action or to change, and, uh, or where, is there a different word for posi positive yeah. worry? In, in, in the worry book, actually, we describe two sorts of worry. We talk about floating worry and solvable worry. Floating worry is the enemy. That's the one that steals your freedom and actually has no real relevance. Solvable worry is where you apply problem-solving techniques to your worries. And actually, you know, if someone said to you tomorrow, we're going to make you redundant in a month, saying don't worry about it is not a very good result because actually you just find yourself without a job and without any future. So solvable worry would be going back, maybe working on your job description, working on application process and trying to find a new job. So that's helpful worry, that's solvable worry. But most, most Christians don't struggle with solvable worry. They, 
they struggle with the 90% of worries which actually don't have any material basis whatsoever. Is that fair enough? Yeah, I, I basically say if it's a sol solvable worry, you take the action that I was describing. If you don't take the action, it can become a difficult worry. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, that, that's really helpful. So it's, yes, worry is not always, not always negative, but it's about defining terms. Another one, yes, here at the, we've got, we got, we got one on the balcony, the balcony, yes. Hello up the there. Great to see you. Um, hello, um, thank you very much for your talk, by the way. It was really good. Um, I've got quite a difficult question. I was wondering how do you cope with extreme worries such as psychosis and uh, uh, unreal beliefs and intrusive thoughts where all the problem solving in the world won't make it better? If you have any advice on things like that for people who may be struggling or know people who are struggling. Uh, very good question. I know lots of people over the years um, with um, psychosis and all the challenges for psychosis um, it is it is different. It, it's um, by the very nature of psychosis and its impact on one's thoughts and understandings and perception of the world and beliefs. It needs to be dealt with in a different way, and it certainly doesn't rely in the same way as the worries that I've been describing. Um, it's it's the sort of thing which I would in my talk I was saying for some people there is a need to actually seek professional help in dealing with it and certainly with those situations I would actually be recommending you actually work in conjunction with someone who has an understanding of psychosis to specifically deal with those and I know Rob who's a psychiatrist is indicating down here that he wants to add something to that. Just to, I mean I think that's a very particular question because obviously what we're kind of pitching today at is not quite self-help but self-help with doing stuff with friends, reading a book um, which hopefully will impact a lot of stuff, but I think obviously we're getting into very, very difficult territory here. So if it's something like, you know, quite s serious OCD, we definitely say, you know, you probably need to be seeing someone who's a very skilled counsellor or, or a psychologist to, to work that through. Psychosis, you can actually use some of these techniques in psychosis. And I think one of the problems in this country with how we've managed psychosis is it's been medication, but actually talking treatments are big part of it and if you read all the guidance about treating illnesses like schizophrenia it's about medication and talking treatment so if someone's got a psychotic illness intrusive thoughts they may need medication but I think they also need CBT for psychosis talking treatments those kinds of things and we need tons more of that within the NHS it's an underprovided resource and I think that's something we can campaign for the, the funding and the provisional for that within the NHS we're going to have to wrap up question time now. Two big round of applause again for Jonathan. Sorry, time, time is slightly against us um, because we're trying to reclaim that 15 minutes that we lost earlier on. Um, and I'm very conscious that you will need a decent coffee break before we have our concluding session. Rob's going to be giving us our concluding session. I really want to encourage you. I know it's typical in Christian conferences for people to have that slip away for their coffee and then never return. I really would encourage you uh, to come back for this final session uh, today. It's really well worth it. And um, if you'd like to take half an hour now, we'll say we'll come back at half past three, so it gives you 35 minutes. Have a decent break. Back here, ready to start in the room if we can at half past three. And if you wanted a book signing, there'll be another 15 minutes available now for those people who felt they missed out earlier. And if you, if you haven't got your free books from the Premier stand, collect them now. <laughs> <laughs>